One in four Australians have never heard of our topic today, and yet it affects 45,000 children in Australia. Tourette syndrome is named after Georges-Gilles de la Tourette, a French neurologist who in 1885 first described the condition, which he called maladie des tics, or tic sickness. Yet today most people know little or nothing about this condition that's often attributed to behavioural or emotional issues. Robin Latimer is the president of the Tourette Syndrome Association of Australia and in 2018 received the Order of Australia Medal for services to community health for her volunteer work with the Tourette Syndrome Association of Australia. Robin, thanks for joining us today for Wellbeing. Thank you for having me. Tell me about your son. This is how you became involved with the syndrome. That's right. Um, My son, at the age of three and four, started displaying um, behaviours essentially that were very ADHD or obsessive compulsive type behaviours where things had to be just right, you know, before he could move on and do something else. And I I found these a little bit challenging. He was my first child, you know, first-time parent. Um, However, he was very intelligent, so I would start thinking, well, he's pushing the boundaries or you'd answer them with other reasons or thinking he's, you know, having a testosterone boost or whatever it is. Uh, that might be coming along at that time. Um, and then at the age of four, we were walking along the beach and he just started nodding his head very sharply. And I observed it and tried not to overreact at the same time, but um, felt that he, uh, I observed that he wasn't aware at all what he was doing. He was just continuing to pick up stones and look for shells and things while this was happening. Um, so I felt that was really odd that he wasn't affected by however was doing it. Um, and, you know, I looked at my husband and at that, at that point I realised that it was neurological because it kept, it continued and kept happening. Um, it, I started doing a search on the internet and so I got home that night and I was a bit worried. I thought he could have been having a seizure at first, like all sorts of things are going through your mind. Um, and I was looking up other neurological conditions, but nothing seemed to fit the bill for him. Um, I was very fortunate that I spoke to a very close friend of mine whose nephew happened to have Tourette's. And when I was describing the movement, she said it sounded like that. So she gave me that word to look up. And as soon as I looked up the word Tourette and got Tourette syndrome, everything fell into place. It was like a jigsaw puzzle. You know, all the behaviours that happened prior and then I could even go back to when he was younger and I'd taken him to the doctor for eye blinking and we'd had his eyes checked and then separately, six months later, I'd taken him to the, to the doctor for excessive lip licking and it was all chafed around the lips and um, and another time for something where he was looked at for the ear, nose and throat specialist. And all these different specialists don't talk to each other so they don't join the dots to realise they're actually all ticks and part of syndrome. So once we got a diagnosis, we were able to move forward. And whilst I I was, you know, I found it very difficult, you know, I was very upset about it at the time, it was very frightening. Um, I felt that it was important to have direction and having that diagnosis provided relief, in all honesty, to have an answer for otherwise made no sense. Uh, it also meant I had something to tell my family and, you know, I think it really helped with grandparents, for example, understanding when people just think, you know, there might have been the connotation of they just need a bit more discipline or they just need a bit more of this or it's your parenting being questioned. 
Um, so I was put in touch with the Tourette Syndrome Association from my neurologist or my son's neurologist at the time and I found their support and their resources to be invaluable. Uh, I went to support groups. I met other families with lived experience and who had previously navigated social situations and schools and, and, and other things that gave you confidence, gave you the right kind of words to use, um, and just didn't judge you. I think that was one of the biggest things of going to support groups, was you just felt it was often what was not said, as opposed to what was said. Everybody just got you. You didn't have to explain Yes. Well, what are the symptoms? There's a whole range of them. You mentioned the nodding of the head that you first noticed your son doing. Yes, the, the range of um, ticks is enormous and, and there's no sort of defined list. They keep in creating them, you know, individuals. They're very individual. Um, but essentially, there are, you need to have at least two motor ticks and at least one vocal tick to, for more than 12 months period to have a diagnosis. That's the criteria. Now, motor and vocal tics are split into different categories. There's what we call simple tics and complex tics. And the simple tics are effectively one muscle group. So they're in motor tics could be things like the eye blinking, the lip licking, the facial grimaces, and just very short, sharp, small sort of movements. And then when you get to the complex motor tics, they involve multiple muscle groups. So it, it can be far more sequenced sort of movements of, you know, touching and putting your arms out or, or turning around and just, you know, can be very complex um, movements. And then um, for the vocal, simple vocal tics, it's very short little sounds like, uh, uh, or, you know, short sounds, sharp sounds, could be throat clearing. Um, and then the complex versions are where it's like sequences and phrases of language. Um, it could be singing and humming um, there's echolalia, which is repetition of uh, words that other people have used that you've heard, and there's palolalia, which is uh, repetition of your own words. Obviously, there's coprolalia, which is the most infamous sort of tick with Tourette syndrome, which is the swearing or taboo language tick. However, that only appears in less than 10 or 15% of people that have, have Tourette's. So most people actually think that is required to have a diagnosis, but it's not. Mm-hmm. Now, let's go back to your son. For four years, you didn't see anything that raised your suspicions that something was going on? So it, it was it developed later on as he grew up? Yes. It, I think when, in hindsight, once we had the diagnosis, we could go back to when he was very little in the high chair, he would squeeze his fists and sort of shiver, have this shiver thing movement that I thought, just thought he was excited about the food. But looking back now, I think there, were, there was actually, that was a tick. And the lip licking and the eye blinking were definitely ticks and some little facial grimaces. Once I knew what to look for, and then as he got older, um, you know, he had more complex ticks. He had head shaking ticks that would make him lose balance and fall over. He had ticks where he had to undo his shoelaces nonstop. You know, if he did them up, he'd have to undo them again. So obviously, we bought Velcro shoes to get around that one. Um, there were ticks where he would, if he was in band at school, he'd have to touch the person in front of him. So we'd have to be, pro, you know, put in a proactive support and, and move his chair that bit further away. Or he had little ticks where he'd scribble on paper if it was near him. So in the classroom, you know, you'd put him at a table at the end of the group so he couldn't reach the other students and things like that. I remember one tick he had that came on over a weekend where he'd go up and tip you and go, tip, you're in. Okay. And I realised the context of this was, 
it made no sense doing it to me when he was doing it to me. And, we like, and then it started repeating and I realised it was a new tick. So I was able to email the teacher and forewarn her because I could just see that going around psychically all day if, if it wasn't understood. Especially, you know, I heard later he went up to the principal and did it. So uh, it, it is important to have that communication and recognition. It, it's really down to observation and, it, and it's quite hard because ticks change all the time. Some people will have what we call core ticks. They'll have the same ones um, or base ticks that continue all the time. But on top of that, they'll have new ones that might just last for a couple of weeks. And as they subside, a new one will come to replace it. So it's hard to keep up with. And it's hard for young children to realise those new things they're doing are actually, you know, that they're happening in their ticks. Quite often they're not aware of what they're doing. So let's talk about the person who has the symptom, who has the syndrome rather. Um, what's going on with them? Do they understand or it takes some time to bring them to an understanding of what's happening inside them? It, it does take time. Um, I think in terms of, I often get asked, how do you tell your child they have Tourette syndrome? And having been through it, there's no particular method or way that's right or wrong. It's really up to the individual family and the time and the, and the um, you know, the development, cognitive development of the child. Personally, I just started using very simple language and I used other examples and I'd just say, talk about it being something everybody's um, brain works differently and you know how so-and-so is a bit, you know, so-and-so might be a bit like this, they like detail and it manifests differently and... and um, just use very simple language of everybody's brain works differently and your brain makes you do this so that he understood that it was something that was physical from the brain. It wasn't his you know, mind over matter and that he couldn't help it and that it was okay. And then as he got older, he'd start using a bit more you know, developed language of it's neurological and he'd use the words uh, you know, tics and, and motor tics and vocal tics and um, explain that it's brain chemicals. For young children, we often say that it's like the stop signs in the brain don't work the same way as someone else's brain. And so you're not able to stop these movements. They get turned on without you having the opportunity to put that stop sign up. When my son was eight, he was invited to be part of a an awareness campaign that we put together. Um, at eight is the average age of diagnosis. Like my son was actually diagnosed younger than most. And to have the language to use at that age is quite difficult to know how to explain it. So it's really important to teach your children to be able to self-advocate because you can't always be there. So giving them a simple one-line explanation can really help them in the schoolyard to explain what Tourette's is. And for boys, it's three to four times more common in boys. That was another reason um, he was chosen to be in the ADS campaign. As well as being what I would consider, a, you know, at that at that time he was more a mild to average case of Tourette's and it was to counterbalance the fact that the media generally showed, always showed the really severe end of the spectrum to help um, normalise it for people and to help also take away that fear factor for families when they're first, you know, diagnosed because their mind instantly goes to the worst case scenario. So to bring it back to very simple eight-year-old child just explaining what it is very factually. It is what it is. Okay, let's listen to him. Sometimes it makes me feel embarrassed if there's somebody that says, hey, what did you do that for and stuff. Well, one of them is where I shake my head to get my hair out of my eyes. 
There's another one where I sort of do like a little squeaking in my throat. There used to be another one where I had to spell every word that I hear. I don't notice it when I'm playing football or concentrating on something like that. Tourette's syndrome is a neurological disorder that affects thousands of Australians. It is characterised by involuntary movements and vocal noises called tics. We can't help it and we're just like you in every other way. People with Tourette's just want to be understood and accepted. So visit Tourette's.org.au to help us help those with Tourette's. That's eloquently put, Robin. That's your son telling us what it is like to have Tourette syndrome. He's just saying we're like anybody else. Right. So it's a plea for understanding. It is, because there's no cure for Tourette. The acceptance and understanding in the community plays a really big part in their ability to function because a very known trigger for Tourette's is stress. So if someone feels uncomfortable, if they feel nervous, if they feel, if they're tired or put in a situation that brings out stress, then they're going to, their symptoms are going to be worsened. So if we as a community can truly understand and accept that it's involuntary, that it is a physical neurological condition, um, then that makes that person feel more at ease immediately and invites them to participate and be included in everything that is on offer, whether it be at school or in employment or in a social setting. I've read that people can somewhat control their behaviour, but if they hold the tick off from being expressed, where they can do that, um, it's going to express itself much more strongly later on. Is that right? Yes, there's a term suppression, and some people will get what they call a premonitory urge, so they get a sensation before some ticks might occur. And it's importantly, not everybody gets the premonitory urge. They have no warning whatsoever. Um, but for those that do, they can try and hold off for a period of time. But it's like your eye holding off, not blinking. This is an example I use a lot within schools, um, that you can hold off for a period of time, but eventually you have to blink. And when you do let yourself blink again, you will not blink once. You will blink multiple times to overcompensate. And that's what happens with the ticks. So it will not mean they go away. They can just hold them off and then later on they'll, they'll happen more frequently and, and probably a bit more strongly. Um, so it's important. And also the other key factor in that is when you're trying not to blink, it's very hard to be doing anything else because all your focus and energy is going on not blinking. And that's what it's like for someone trying to suppress ticks. It takes an enormous amount of energy and focus. So they can't be hearing the teacher giving them instruction. They can't be learning during that time. So they need to feel welcome in the classroom and able to release their ticks in smaller doses regularly throughout the day so that they can participate in that um, you know, learning experience at school. What's actually going on in the brain? Is that understood yet that's causing these? Not really. All they know is it's, um, it's genetic and it's multiple genes. So at one time they were searching for the gene and they've realised it's so interconnected with uh, other conditions, particularly OCD, anxiety and ADHD are the really common, most common uh, conditions, that they're seeing an overlap and multiple genes are in, believed to be involved now. And multiple neurotransmitters as well, it's, it's heavily with dopamine and a few others, but they're finding that it's not a simple fix, it's not a simple answer, because it's so um, interconnected 
with many other conditions and uh, behaviours as well, like ADHD and, and OCD, for example. Quite often we're asked when someone has OCD and Tourette's, is something a tick or is that a compulsion to do with the OCD? Um, and it's even, you know, the, the specialists are, are often not able to draw that line between the two. And we say, well, we don't, don't worry about that. If we treat the OCD first, it's actually easier, in a, in a sense, to treat than the ticks of Tourette. So let's try and do what we would do to reduce the OCD symptoms, which can be, you know, awareness, habit reversal, training through a psychologist and getting that kind of support. But anything that will reduce anxiety and reduce stress will reduce the symptoms of Tourette's as well. So if you can reduce something that might be an OCD symptom, you're going to reduce the ticks at the same time. We're discussing Tourette Syndrome and Robin Latimer is my guest. She's president of the Tourette Syndrome Association of Australia. Robin, let's come to management of the syndrome. You've touched on a few things, but can it be treated with drugs, for instance? It can. Uh, there's no specific medication for Tourette Syndrome, so it's very trial and error with um, experienced medical professionals that are, are you know, important because of the particular trait of Tourette's of what's called waxing and waning cycles. Quite often someone might be medicated and, you know, a less experienced doctor will think that it's working fine when in fact that person's just in a waning cycle at that time and their ticks have subsided naturally. Um, So it's quite complex to be able to monitor it and and be sure what's working. There's there's other treatments through psychologists. There's one called CBIT, which is Comprehensive Behavioural Intervention for Ticks. And it has proven efficacy for Tourette's syndrome. Um, it's hard to do with very, very young children. They stay from the age of about eight and up. It's more successful. And other things like awareness training, and we even say substitution. So for vocal tics, for example, uh, they're quite often the most difficult in a school setting or in a work employment setting. So we say try using uh, chewing gum. You can chew on chewing gum at, at school and, and people might say, well, you can't have chewing gum in school. And we say, well, it's a medicinal support. So we ask for it to be enabled there or to suck on a throat lozenger because that will use up the excess energy in the zone that's causing the, the tick to occur. Uh, sport is fantastic for many children to use up that ex, the excess neurotransmitters. And it comes with the added benefit of the increased you know, mood elevation that comes after sport as well. So um, it's, it's a real win in both uh, areas because a lot of people with Tourette's also experience mood dysregulation. Um, sometimes it could be not sure whether it's actually part of the Tourette's or a reaction from having the Tourette's, you know, getting depressed because of having to live with the disorder. It doesn't affect somebody's intellect, but it can have a severe impact on their life, can't it? Because it can become debilitating at work, for instance. Yes, um, we've done a quality of life study with um, a psychiatrist in 2016. And the quality of life score for someone who's your average healthy person is 90. For someone with Tourette's syndrome, it drops to less than half. And for children in schools, their school functioning score drops as low as 39.1. So when it doesn't affect intelligence, that disparity is really apparent Mm. that it's about access to education and, you know, being included uh, as well as uh, being enabled 
you know, to feel in the environment that they can participate in all parts on offer and that would be the same in, in the workplace for many. So a supportive environment either at school or at work is essential. Yes. Uh, what about your advice to somebody with Tourette's syndrome overcoming the stigma attached to that, you know, the reaction of people who may laugh, who may not be able to understand what's going on and they don't know how to react? Yeah, people with Tourette's generally, um, this is a generalisation, but it's something I've found, have a fantastic sense of humour. You know, we say we do laugh, but there's a difference at laughing at versus laughing with people with Tourette's. From my experience, personal experience, and through the association, we've found that people who are the most open about their Tourette's have fared the best long-term. And that's largely because Tourette's is quite difficult to hide for most people that have it. It's not something you can sort of choose to hide until on a need-to-know basis. So the more you can be upfront, have that information, and education is absolute power with Tourette's syndrome, so that you have the words, you can self-advocate, uh, you know what to say when people make a comment. You know, to have all this, to learn this and, and have something pre-prepared for young children is really helpful. And even for adults, you know, to have a pre-prepared line um, that you're comfortable saying in your circumstance. I was very conscious around my children. I didn't use the word suffer and I didn't use the word disorder. I used the word uh, he has Tourette's syndrome and it is a con- it's a neurological condition because I wanted to use more po- positive language for a young person to be hearing so that they didn't take on that there was something bad about themselves. So I think all of those are important points and the Tourette's Association has a lot of resources to help, you know, to learn about it and to, to then find the language that you're as an individual comfortable with using for yourself and your own symptoms. So reducing the stigma is vital. Uh, that helps them a lot in society. Can you tell us about this project? There's an app being created recently. Some students at, it was students, was it, at Torrens University? Yes, um, I work at Torrance University during uh, the week I'm for the, the work for the Tourette's Association as a volunteer and I was a client, the Tourette's Association was a client for students because we do live briefs and essentially I briefed the students to leverage technology to help us, uh, I use the word please beam us into every classroom right. in Australia and you know, gave them this very audacious goal and I wanted it to be fun. I wanted it to be something that all students would want to participate in and enjoy, and I wanted it to be positive. And they ticked every box, and they've come up with an app called Tactics. So it's T-A-C apostrophe T-I-C-S. Mm-hmm. And it operates essentially as a scavenger hunt, so it's gamified for the students, and they do it in teams. And they run around and, and solve riddles to find a, a location. And when they're at the location... Uh, it opens up a challenge. And the challenge is where the deeper learning uh, comes to play and they are challenged to do things to put them in the shoes of a person that has Tourette's syndrome. So that generates the empathy and the true understanding of what's going on. Um, They have to upload some, some media and upload answers and do little quizzes throughout the activity and then the team at the end with the most points wins the the activity and the event it can be run just with, in groups within one class group or it can be a whole year group or even an entire school group can play and, and do this event. So it's a, it's a peer-to-peer learning platform provided to help the schools share information on Tourette's. But I think it goes beyond Tourette's. It's just, it actually is 
fantastic about understanding all forms of difference and about inclusion. So where do you get it from? You can't get it the tactics direct from there. You need to contact us um, by our website and um, we take a booking because we need to set the, the um, app per location. So we tailor it for each school and then you can download it from the app store once we've, given, we've set that location up for you. Can you give us the website? The website is tourette.org.au. tourette.org.au. And just briefly, Robin, research is ongoing on several fronts, isn't it? There's some genetic research going on and also research into the physical conditions themselves, isn't there? The ticks themselves? Yes, there's currently, um, it's been going on for quite a number of years now, there's DNA research happening in Australia and um, our membership has participated in that. It takes quite a while to get enough participants to make it a really um, worthwhile and rigorous study. And there's also been support um, in looking at the impact on the quality of life in the past with research with us. There's been other types of research in measuring the impacts of this rollout of the CBIT, the Comprehensive Behavioural Intervention for Ticks, and those behaviours and symptoms as well to, to help support psychologists to understand um, how this works as well and to share that treatment to make sure more people are aware of how to implement it throughout Australia. And is there help available through Social Security or via Centrelink with disability support? recognised disability so you can apply through that and the NDIS it's tricky to navigate but we have had a number of people with success stories um, and it definitely qualifies as a registered uh, well-known disability. Well Robin you're very active in promoting the cause through research through understanding through talking to community groups and I believe you have lots of things going on especially around this time of year and uh, the awareness week this week also something in the hunter Yes we have um, a picnic ride for Tourette's happening in the hunter this is the third year running and it's a motorbike ride, and if you want to drive it, if you don't have a motorbike, you can participate that way as well. It's absolutely fantastic, organised by a local family whose son and father has Tourette's, um, and it funds, raises funds for us to go towards our capacity-building camps. And it's on the 19th of May, and details uh, are accessible via our website as well, tourette.org.au. Fantastic. Thank you, Robin. Thank you very much, Graham. Robin Latimer, the president of the Tourette Syndrome Association of Australia, has been my guest today on Wellbeing. And for more information, the website once more is tourette.org.au. I'm Graham Wilson at the University of Newcastle, and all of us at Wellbeing wish you well.